0: Take a trip to the moon, or Mars, today. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Andy Weir, author of The Martian, Artemis, Cheshire Crossing, and Project Hail Mary. This is part two of my interview with Andy Weir. If you haven't already, make sure you check out part one right here as well. Welcome, Andy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me again.
0: Absolutely, yeah, welcome back. Andy, you released the space fiction novels uh, The Martian in 2011, Artemis in 2017. Um, What other types of writing do you do?
1: Well, I'm really a science fiction dork. I did do a a short story called The Egg, which could best be called, I I don't know, like philosophical or whatever, (laughs) pseudo-religious fiction, but that was just something I banged out in 40 minutes and never expected to get big. Uh, I've never really had much of an interest in writing uh, fantasy or anything like that. I would love to write contemporary crime novels someday. That would be fun. But right now, the niche I've carved out is, you know, scientifically accurate sci-fi. And uh, people seem to really like that from me. So I'm going to keep doing that for the foreseeable future.
0: I love crime novels, so I hope you do pursue that. Um, what What is it about human nature that that lets you look into the future to tell a story that relates to us today?
1: Well, um, I'm, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. I'm a very optimistic person. Uh, well, at least when it comes to like humanity and our trajectory, I really do think that as a species and as a planet, we just keep getting better and better. And um, I know that it doesn't always seem like that in the short term, but here's a little test I ask people to, to kind of mentally take. Would you rather be alive today or any multiple of 100 years ago. So in other words, I've got a time machine here, your option is either stay here in 2020 or go back in time to 1920 or 1820 or 1720, you know, and so on. Most people would choose to stay here, right? And then if I said, all right, you have to go back in time, it's involuntary, most people would choose the forward most time that they're allowed to choose. The thing is, humanity, just gets better. Technology, social advancement, we just keep getting better. And yes, there are dips. Like I would rather be alive in 1923 than 1943, because that wasn't a great time. But I'd I'd rather be alive in 1963 than 1923. So basically, um, I like writing science fiction because you project forward that progress and see how awesome would life be in 100 years. Or, I mean, it won't be perfect, we'll still have problems, they'll still be bad folks, but I think that humanity is inherently good and we're always searching for ways to make everything better for everyone else. And so uh, that's what I really like about, you know, speculative fiction, sci-fi, is like thinking about, man, I wish I lived a hundred years from now.
0: (laughs) Totally. What science news trends or discoveries do you follow that um, inspires your writing?
1: Well, um, I'm a huge fan of commercial space flight. Uh, I think that in the future, um, that's going to be a major industry, and it's going to be really cool. It'll be like the airline industry. Um, All it takes is at some point, the price to getting people into low-Earth orbit is going to be driven down far enough that middle-class people can afford to do it as like a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. And when we get to that point, then there will be tremendous profits to be had in the space industry. So then we're going to have, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be all sorts of space stuff going on, hotels in orbit, launch, launch sites, and by the way, probably a multi-billion dollar industry, just like the airline industry. So I'm really looking forward to that, and that's so that's some science news I, I watch very closely. Also, I think people dramatically underestimate how huge an effect self-driving cars are going to have on our society. People are people just kind of accept, oh sure, in the future, yeah, I, it, probably within twenty years we're all going to have self-driving cars, and they just imagine that the only difference will be, well, you don't have to physically drive your car; it'll be more comfortable. To which I say, oh my God, the changes that are going to happen. So first off, like. First off, you know how 50,000 people die every year from drunk driving? That's not going to happen anymore. Second off, um, uh, the entire trucking industry, all those truckers are going to be out of a job. Uh, Third off, um, you don't need parking in cities anymore. You don't need parking garages. You don't need parking lots. You don't need anything. You'll just have your car drop you off and tell it to screw off. Come back. People will have car services rather than own their cars. It'd be like an Uber, but fully automated, and so on. And then the big one is that cities, states, townships—they're all going to lose a massive revenue stream from from uh, moving from uh, moving violations from cars and parking violations from cars because the self-driving cars will follow the rules. And so, like you know, Los Angeles that makes about hundred million dollars a year from parking and and, and traffic fines. They're going to lose that revenue. So it's just huge, huge effect. And so I spent a lot of time watching that.
0: Speaking of the commercialization of space, what threats might it pose? You're an optimist, but are there downsides to moving into space?
1: Well, I mean, trying to think of like any immediate downsides. I mean, it's like a tourism industry, right? So you could have people being taken advantage of, conned, scammed, that sort of thing. Like, oh, hey, come to the space. And, and it turns out it's just a fly-by-night operation that doesn't actually do anything for you. Um, it's an opportunity for terrorists to do a lot of damage, maybe, if, they, you, know, if you blow up a ship that's carrying people. Um, so there are those sorts of threats, but I don't see a lot of like, long-term systemic damage that could be done. By a space industry now it, i I, w- I would say for instance and, and there are some, but what are what are the problems or threats that have come from the airline industry not a lot there's environmental impact is the biggest problem I think that has come from the airline industry because a huge amount of global carbon emissions come from aircraft okay so that's that's a downside, but in the grand scheme of things. Com, you know, compared to what we get in exchange for having that airline industry is very small. And so I, I suspect spaceflight will be similar in that there, it will come at some cost and we might not even discover what that cost is right away. But I think it'll uh, be worth it.
0: You had to envision this as you wrote Artemis. How might human culture differ and diverge between those born on Earth and those born
1: off Earth? Well, um, I don't think it'll matter that much. I think um, cultures are their own little creatures and cultures develop in their own ways. They do tend to kind of like uh, adjust their codas and norms and social rules based on their environment. Um, But for the most part, I think people born in space or on the moon or whatever are gonna be just like everybody else, they're gonna be pretty much they're going to get their their culture from the same place that they get their dna their parents and the society that raises them so there will certainly be a cultural deviance and i i took you know deviance as in difference from wherever they originally came from over many generations and i played around with that a bit in artemis the idea that the people who live there well it's kind of it's a frontier town out in a it's a dangerous place, the moon, you can, you can die there. Um, and so there's, there's those sorts of elements, but uh, it's really impossible to predict what any given large group of humans will end up acting like in a few generations.
0: When you look back at the last hundred years of science fiction, there's, there are many, many examples of technology envisioned by an author that sooner or later gets invented by scientists and engineers. Is there an imaginary technology in any of your stories that you believe will actually be invented? Hmm.
1: Well, um, for the most part, I stuck with technology that actually exists. So like in the Martian, for instance, all of that technology actually exists. Um, Even the propulsion system for Hermes, which is the, you know, the basically a VASIMIR drive, that technology exists. However, in the Martian, it's it is like scaled up a lot higher than it is. So I, I don't know if that counts as a new technology. Um, in Artemis, well, in Ar- Artemis, there is a, a bit of a MacGuffin technology that serves as a plot point. I don't know if that, you know, it's called Zaffo, and I don't want to spoil for anybody, but I don't know if Zaffo would ever actually get invented. Hmm, I don't know. It's a good question. I think in, in my stories, I don't have any, you know, I have very few pieces of technology that don't already exist. So I can't really think of anything.
0: (laughs) How about the biology of growing potatoes in Martian soil (laughs) using, well, you know, what as fertilizer, you know?
1: Night soil, as it's called (laughs) in polite circles. I mean, yeah, but I don't think growing potatoes is, is... can be called a new technology, right? Um, You can definitely do it in Martian soil and NASA has since tested that. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, you can definitely do that. The big problem with um, growing plants on another planet isn't so much finding a medium for them to grow in, it's more about creating an environment for them to grow in. You can't just chuck them out onto the surface of Mars. You have to have a pressurized environment that provides them with the carbon dioxide, the water, the temperature, everything they need to survive, just like humans. So that's actually the, the real limiting factor, not so much the medium that it's growing in, whether it be soil or hydroponics or aeroponics.
0: All right, Andy, what can you tell us about Project Hail Mary?
1: Well, I'm gonna be pretty tight-lipped about that. At the time that we're recording this, it's still quite a ways away, uh, its release. And um, so I can, I can say what the, uh, what the movie people have already been releasing is that it's about a lone astronaut aboard a ship who is tasked with saving the world.
0: Is it gonna have star Ryan Gosling Jr. Do you think? Oh,
1: right, yeah, and it's starring Ryan Gosling, and it's gonna be uh, directed by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, of uh, well, they they directed many things, including Into the Spider-Verse and the 21 Jump Street movies and so on. Um, yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's it's coming uh, via courtesy of MGM Studios, and uh, everybody's really excited about it. So you know, fingers crossed, it gets it actually gets made. You never know in Hollywood, uh, but uh, but yeah, looks good. There's some there's some pretty big names attached, so that's that's very nice.
0: Of course, it's your work. Of course, there's always big Aww, names attached. Oh, thank you, <laughs> Andy. we're looking forward to it, um, and always excited to have you back, Andy. If somebody wants to connect with you, I they want to find out more about your work. How can they do that?
1: Well, um, they can find me Andy Weir on Facebook, or uh, Andy Weir author on Twitter, and um, you can just email me, uh, and you can Google my email, it's very public, it would take a long time for me to explain it and spell it out here, but you can find it, email me, and I answer all fan mail.
0: That's, thanks again, Andy.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. That's Andy Weir, author of The Martian, Artemis, Cheshire Crossing, and Project Hail Mary. Don't forget to check out part one of my interview with Andy right here and find more of my interviews right here as well at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.